Let's hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 119, 73-80, Yod. Your hands made me and formed me. Gave me understand, give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. I know, Lord, that your word, laws are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. May your unfailing love be my comfort according to the promise to your servant. Let your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. May the arrogant be put to shame for wronging me without cause, but I will meditate on your precepts. May those who fear you turn to me, those who understand your statutes. May I wholeheartedly follow your decrees that I may not be put to shame. May God bless the reading of His Word. As we've been learning, as we work, as we've been working through some of the Psalms over the past few weeks by uh, by the the speakers here on the Sunday morning, we've learned that they, for one thing, they're poems. They're basically uh, poems that are written to uh, inspired by God, but they're written from the heart of man, expressing the the feelings, the emotions that they feel expressing their relationship to God. How, does, how do I relate to God? How, how do I, as the writer of this psalm, relate to God? How do I understand God? How do I know about God? How, uh, how do I worship God? How do I praise God? And so, as we look today at part, just part of Psalm 119, we see a beautiful poem, a lengthy poem, but a beautifully constructed poem all centered around one main idea. Psalm 119 is made up of a number of different, of smaller units. And if you look in your, in your Bibles, uh, you will see that they all have a heading. And each one of those headings has, some, has a meaning to it. But you'll see it's made up of 22 different sections. Each section in itself is made up of eight verses. And so you see there's, even in the structure of Psalm 119, there's this poetic element to it of this uh, repeating structure of sets of eight verses going uh, repeating 22 times for a total of 176 verses, the last of which we read as our call to worship this morning. Each group, each one of those 22 groups, you'll see as a heading, is the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the, the start of Psalm 119, it starts with the heading Aleph which is uh, the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The second section, from verse 9 to 16, the heading is Beth, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so it moves through each letter of the uh, Hebrew alphabet. There's being just 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. It gives us the 22 sections, with each section having eight verses. And so there's, there's in that structure, there's a beauty to it. But what's interesting that goes beyond what we can see in our English Bibles, there is another feature in this psalm that, uh, as I say, it goes beyond what we can read in our English Bibles. And that feature is picked up on by that heading for each section. And so, in, uh, in each section, it starts with a letter of the of the Hebrew alphabet and the section we're looking at in Psalm 73 starts with the letter Yod. And this letter, 
then starts in Hebrew. It starts each uh, the it's the first letter of each word in each line of the poem of each of those eight uh, lines of the poem. Let me uh, let me try and show it to you here. This is this is uh, I'm going to give you all the Hebrew I know, which is about as much as I know of Mandarin and Cantonese. So I'm going to use it all up with you this morning, and it'll take about two or three minutes here. But let me try and show you. And here's uh, here's Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew parallel to the English. So this is just verses 73, 74, and 75. Hebrew is a phonetic alphabet. It uses different characters, but each character represents a letter, and you put letters together and you get words. So you can see uh, here, and oh, the other interesting thing about Hebrew is that it reads from left to right. So it starts over here, and you move across, and then you see a group of letters, each making up a word. But look at where it starts. It starts there. Whoops, don't have a very steady hand. Um, but you see... It starts right there with that little character that looks like an apostrophe. Can you see that? That's the letter Yod. And you see it starts the first letter of this word and the first letter of that word. And it works through all eight verses of this. That pattern. There's an incredible beauty in this. Someone has taken a lot of time through the, in, through the inspiration of the Spirit, but someone has taken all this time and effort to put this structure together to help us to, uh, to draw our attention to this. And so we can clearly see, and, and once you know that little bit of Hebrew, you can see how this starts. And if you go, you'll, you'll see that's how the whole psalm is structured, the Psalm 119. So now you know how it's structured in that sense, but why? The question the, the, maybe the more important question is why is it why is it structured like that? Is it just uh, some kind of randomless, meaningless thing that somebody just sort of was playing a bit of a game and they uh, they did this? I don't think so. I don't think that's what the psalmist was thinking at all. It might be, and there's it, unfortunately we don't know. We don't know exactly why the psalmist did it this way. It gives us no indication why he chose to use this kind of structure. Why he might have. Uh, uh, chosen to uh, uh, to make the psalm like this, it might be as simple as it's a it's a memory device, just the way when when we hear a sermon and it's got the three points in it and they all all the points begin with the letter R. It helps us to remember or whatever it might be. It all it helps us to remember what we've heard. And if you think when, when this psalm was written, very few people could read and write, so uh, people had to remember what was in the Word of God, and so this is a a way for them simply uh, a mem- kind of a memory device, something, something uh, to help them remember. I think you can see there's some kind of beauty in this as well. It's not just uh, a memory device, but there's some kind of beauty in it. And it's perhaps to reflect some of the beauty that you see in the message itself, in the words itself, uh, are beautiful. They're, they, they touch our hearts. They touch our feelings. And you can see that reflected in the, in the beauty of the structure. But I believe there's something even more important in it, in a structure like this. As he works his way from the beginning to the end of the Hebrew alphabet, it's sort of like us saying, I'm going to give you a guide. I'm going to give you a, a guide here. And it's, it covers everything from A to Z. 
And when you, if I said, I'm going to give you a guide on how to grow tomatoes, and I said, this is a, an A to Z guide on growing tomatoes, you would, you would understand this is a complete guide. This should be everything I need to know. And I think that's part of the message that's coming across here. This is a, a completeness to this. There is a completeness to this psalm. It runs from the beginning to the end. And each letter of the alphabet is given equal attention because every part of it is important. And every word in, in our Bibles is made up of these letters. And it's complete. And so there's a sense of completeness to this. But you're left still with another question. A completeness of what? What is this completeness? Well, when we look at Psalm 19 as a whole, and certainly as this, in this passage that, uh, that we're looking at this morning, but look at Psalm 119, verse 1. It says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. What we see in Psalm 119, it's all about the Word of God. This is, he's saying this is complete. The Word of God is complete. It's everything. There's everything we need to know. There's everything from A to Z in, the, in, in our alphabet uh, in English. Everything is there. And so he's trying to communicate through the structure this idea of completeness. There's an idea of beauty there. It's just, it really is an amazing bit of literature that the psalmist has produced here. And we'll just take a quick look here uh, for a few minutes here this morning at just one section, and that's verses 73 to 80. And so as we look at these, uh, as we take, take these, the, the time this morning and as we look at these, this particular passage from 73 to 80, just keep in mind a couple of things as we look at each verse. In each verse, there is a, a structure in each verse, there's, there's an emphasis. And what we see is two things. One, there's a mention of God's Word in a way in every verse. So look, be looking for that. Look to see how is God's Word mentioned in each verse. And also, there is some kind of attitude or uh, some kind of way of thinking about God's Word in each verse. So let's take a quick look at each verse and just stopping briefly. So verse 73 your hands made me informed me. And there's a request there. Give me understanding to learn your commands. So there's that request, that understanding, that attitude towards God's Word. He, the, the, the writer wants to understand it. He's acknowledging God is the one who created him. And now he's asking God to un- give him understanding of God's Word. He wants to... Uh, to understand it. He doesn't, he doesn't want to just know God's Word, but he wants to understand it and he, wants to ha- he, he has that desire for understanding. So it's not just uh, a, a request to, to have that understanding, but to have that desire to understand what God's Word says. He really wants that part to learn the commands of God. So as we think about it, and as we go through these verses, be thinking about what is the psalmist communicating to us? Do we have this same kind of heart that is looking for the Word of God, is seeking that kind of understanding, and is so focused on the Word of God? Then the next verse, verse 74, that May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope 
there is an attitude, an attitude of hope, where? In your Word. So there it is again. Do we put our hope in our feelings, in our imagination, in our friends, in our family? We put our hope in the Word of God. That's where our grounding needs to be. That's what the psalmist is saying. I put my hope in the Word of God here. And then in verse 75, there's an affirmation. He says, I know, Lord, that Your laws are righteous. So here's again this kind of attitude, this kind of uh, position towards the Word of God. He is affirming that the words of the Lord are righteous. They're right and holy. They're coming from a perfect and holy God. So His words have to be perfect and holy as well. And so the writer is affirming this uh, in verse 75. In verse 76, we see a request. This ask. May Your unfailing love be my comfort according to Your promise. Your promises. Where do we find God's promises? In God's Word. And so he's saying, may we find that promise of God's Word uh, in God's Word. We may, we, may we find His unfailing love uh, and that would be a comfort He's asking that we would find that in God's Word. God's unfailing love is a comfort to us as, as, as many of us travel through uh, the journeys of life where we want God's comfort, where we need God's comfort as we go through difficult situations. And so this, the, the psalmist is asking for God's comfort to be revealed to him according to the promise there. So God's Word is a promise. And then again, an attitude, another attitude towards the law. That it is a delight. That God's law is a delight. It is what I enjoy, what helps and strengthens me. But also, what challenges me. What rebukes me. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged swords, it divides joint and marrow, soul and spirit. It judges the thought and attitudes of our heart. The psalmist is saying, this law is my delight. I delight in this. Do we delight in God's laws in the same way? Verse 78 is an attitude again. I will meditate on your precepts. This is, this is how the psalmist sees his relationship with God's law, with the Word of God, he will meditate on it. He will take it. He will think about it. Consider it. Ponder. Spend time to understand and reflect on what it means. And so again, this is an attitude of, uh, towards the Word of God. Verse 79, May those who fear you turn to Me, those who understand your statutes. So those who fear God, who understand God's Word, will listen to the psalmist. And presumably this psalm in particular he's talking about. But um, he wants them to turn to him as he gives understanding about God's Word. And then uh, the last one is, is a request. is a personal one for the, from the psalmist here. This is his attitude about God's Word. He's asking God to help him to follow God's decrees. That he would be able to work it out in his life. Understand it, but then also not just know it, but to do it as well. To not just be 
having that intellectual understanding, but wanting to do it, to live it out in, in our lives. And this is really the hard part. This is really the hard part. The Word of God is difficult to apply. It's not always easy. Doing it is the hard part. Knowing it is, is perhaps the easy bit. We can, uh, we can spend lots of time studying and we can learn, but when it comes time to put it into practice in our lives, that's when we can struggle. A friend of mine wrote a book and it's called Ten Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. And in the preface he says, he, wanted, he actually wanted to call it Ten Things I Hate About Jesus, but his publisher wouldn't let him do it because he, they felt it was too controversial a topic. But he, his point was uh, that Jesus uh, gives some difficult instructions that are hard to, uh, to keep. Others have written similar books. The late F.F. Bruce, who taught occasionally here at, at Regent College here in Vancouver, wrote a book entitled The Hard Sayings of Jesus. R.C. Sproul did a sermon series that you can find online uh, that said that by the same title, by that Hard Sayings of Jesus. So people over the years and uh, have recognized that, that it's difficult to follow Jesus. And you can't really see this, but it says uh, the disciples thought uh, the Lord, and I can't read that either. The, the disciples thought they could handle loving their enemies, going the second mile, even turning the other cheek. But when Jesus told them to give up their cell phones, they thought He went just too far. So, so we can laugh at that. We can laugh at uh, in, a, in a lighter moment that Jesus does ask us to do difficult things. And the sayings are not hard because they're... Um, uh, because they're hard to understand or hard to learn, but because they are hard to do. One example of this is William Carey. Uh, and he wrote this book in 1792. And the title, it's hard to read there, but the, the, the title is a real snappy one. And he goes, it was an the title is An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. It doesn't, probably wouldn't sell a lot of books, but uh, it's, a, it's a classic. And the first part of this book, William Carey, in the first section of this book, wrote a theological justification for missionary activity, for going into all the world. And he used it as, uh, he used Matthew 28, 18 to 20, as a justification for that. And he said that is binding on Christians today. He went to India and he served there until his death in 1834. He served over 30 years in India. Why did he do that? Why did he write this book? Why did he go? Because the Word of God says to go. And so he did that difficult thing and he had many struggles along the way. We heard from the team uh, from Guatemala that went and they learned all kinds of things. Why are they going? Because Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. There's lots of other passages that are hard for us to, to know and to do. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, Paul warns that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I don't know. Is that, a, is that a challenge for you? That wrestling with the love of money? It's not something I particularly wrestle with. So, something that uh, you may have a problem with, I might not. Something I might be challenged with, you may not. So, I don't particularly have uh, a love for money. Having just enough is fine with me. But, when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 to not worry, and Paul says, do not be anxious. Am I free from worry? 
Am I free from anxiety? I wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning, insides churning with worry and anxiety, and I lay there in bed going, Lord, I know You tell me not to worry, but I don't know what's going on here. I'm worried. I'm anxious. Putting the Word of God into practice in our lives is hard. And Jesus tells us, and lots of, in the Bible it tells us lots of things that are difficult for us to do. The hard sayings of Jesus. To love one another. To forgive one another. To put aside ourselves. To deny ourselves and follow Jesus. Let Him who is without sin cast the first stone. And so we need to spend that time thinking and reflecting. Accepting discipline as a loved son and being challenged by it. And continuing to love God even in the face of His discipline. These things are all hard for us to do, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't do them. We need to work and be trying to to do these things. If you want a really extensive list of what's hard, go to Galatians 5.13-26 and you'll read, a whole list of things that we should stop doing and things that we should start doing. And these are all difficult. But it also says that the Spirit is there. That we are led by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. The secret there in following the hard sayings of Jesus, in doing, in not just knowing, but doing it, is to follow the Spirit to be led by the Spirit, to give up ourselves, to open ourselves and be led by the Spirit. And so as we come, as we read the Word of God, as we follow the psalmist and put the Word of God first in our lives and open ourselves up to God's Spirit at work, to give up control and let God's Spirit work in us and God's Word speak to us, then we will be transformed. We will be changed. And we can be like the psalmist, living out this Psalm 119, verses 73-80. to Let God take control and see what happens. As the worship team comes to lead us in a couple of songs to finish up this morning, let me pray. Father, we thank You for, for Your Word that teaches us, instructs us, guides us, and shows us, help us to have a delight in Your Word. Help us to take Your Word deep into our hearts that it would change us. It would alter us. It would make us more like You. More like Your Son, Jesus. Give us the Spirit that would empower us to be living for You and living according to Your Word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.